Good evening, I'm Bruce McLean, and I want to welcome you to Christ Community Church, and especially to our Wednesday night Summer of Psalms. Sadly, tonight is the last uh, psalm that we will look at. We're going to look at Psalm 142 tonight. I hope you've enjoyed the psalms. I think the staff here at Christ Community Church has looked at 11 different psalms, and I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope it's encouraged you to spend more time at least reading one psalm a day. I've had the joy of teaching four psalms, and the first one was Psalm 73, which was written by Asap. The second was Psalm 90, which was written by Moses. And then last week, Psalm 111 was anonymous. And tonight, finally, I get to teach a Psalm of David. And I'm excited, and I hope I've saved the best for last. Uh, 2 Samuel 23, 1 calls David the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I'll talk more about David in a minute. And it's... it's uh, just uh, his psalms are uh, more beautiful than you know maybe the other ones because the the poetry that David uses is just so beautiful. Uh, let's look at the superscription. I hope you're not bored by me talking about the superscriptions, but I think you'll see maybe tonight why they are so important. It first off it says a maskil of David when he was in the cave a prayer. It says a maskil. This word is used 11 times in Psalms, and commentators actually argue about what it means. But probably the best, uh, the best um, agreement is that it's a didactic poem. A didactic poem is a teaching poem, and this poem teaches the children of Israel how to pray, and it teaches us how to pray. It says it's a masculine of David, and I mentioned David's the author, and of the 150 Psalms, David is attributed to 73 of them. Uh, and there's about 50 Psalms that we don't know who wrote. But if you take a Psalm like Psalms 2, which has no author according to our Bibles, but you go to the New Testament and in Acts chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, the apostles have been freed from the jail and they're praising the Lord and they say, out of the mouth of your servant David through the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalms 2. So the apostles believe that Psalms 2 was by David. So it's likely that some of the 50 Psalms that we don't know who the authors are were also written by David. But we know that at least 73 of the 150, like this Psalm, Psalm 142, were written by David. Now it says also when he was in the cave. And this is so important. Um, historical settings in the Psalms are important because you can not only read the psalm, you can go back to the historical setting. In this case, I believe, 1 Samuel 22. Uh, there are 13 psalms by David of the 73 that he wrote where there are historical settings. Chris Cole taught on Psalms uh, 51, and we know that's about the sin with Bathsheba. So you can read that story in 1 Samuel uh, 12, and 13, and then you can go read the psalm, and it teaches you a lot to have the poetry in Psalms and have the narrative story in 1 Samuel. There are two psalms that mention David being in a cave. Psalms 57 says in the superscription, David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, we're not sure, but most commentators believe that would be 1 Samuel 24. And you remember that story. David's in the cave and Saul comes in to go to the bathroom and David snips a piece of robe off and later feels remorse about it. But that Psalm's probably, Psalm 57 is probably Psalm 124. And I like to write in my Bible so I can go back and read the historical narrative. 
But Psalms 142 just says when he was in the cave, and we believe that that would be Psalm 122. And if you go to Psalm one, Psalm 122, and I'm just going to read verse 1, part 1, and later when we see God answering the prayer, we'll read verse 2. But the first part of verse 1 in Psalm 122 says, David departed from there. Now, where did he depart from? Well, the chapter before, David is acting like a madman. He foaming at the mouth because he wants to live with uh, Akash, the king of the Philistines. But he's acting like a madman. And Akash says, don't I have enough madman? And it doesn't say, but it's implied that David has to flee. So David has to leave the land of the Philistines. Remember, he's being chased by Saul. So he goes down to this cave of Adalim. And we'll stop there. Okay. It also says that, that when he was in the cave, a prayer. And I mentioned this when we taught Psalms 90. There are five Psalms that are called prayers. And they can teach us a lot in our prayer life. Uh, Psalm 17, Psalms 86, and Psalms 142 are by David. They're called prayers. And then, of course, Psalm 90, I mentioned, was by Moses. And we taught on that two weeks ago. And the other Psalm that's called a prayer is Psalm 102. And that author is anonymous. Remember the disciples, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, here in Psalm 142, David is going to give us a lesson uh, by recording his own experiences, and he's going to teach us how to pray. Uh, someone said that caves where David is here for this prayer are good closets for prayer. Their gloom and solitude are helpful to the exercise of devotion. Had David prayed as much in the palace as he did in the cave, he might never have fallen into that act which brought such misery upon him and Israel and his family. And then just before we read this psalm, just a reminder to you at Christ Community Church, we have not had a lot of activities with COVID. It's almost been six months, but Lord willing, things are going to start up soon. And I want to encourage you. Uh, if you can't, you can't go on a mission trip, you, can't, you don't think you can do a lot, the greatest thing you can do is prayer. And I'd encourage you to see me or see Gil Soldano, because uh, we're recruiting people for ABF prayers, recruiting people for prayer. And my favorite quote of all time about prayer is from A.W. Tozer, and it says, Man is at his highest and greatest when he is on his knees, where he comes face to face with God. Do you want to be a prayer warrior at Christ Community Church? We need to pray for all the things that are going to start up again after this COVID. So please see me or Gil if you're interested in partnering with prayer. Let's look at Psalms 142. Now, I just want to remind you, there are only 13 Psalms out of the 150 that are over 30 verses. There are only four Psalms that are over 50 verses. And there are 55 Psalms like this one, Psalm 142, that are 10 verses or less. I call those the one-minute psalms because we can read those psalms in less than one minute. And I encourage you to read one psalm a day because at the end of two years, you will have read the book of Psalms five times and your praise life will increase, your prayer life will increase, your scripture knowledge will increase. So try to read one psalm a day. Let's read Psalms 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him, I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, 
they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to the Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of the prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will de deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask you to teach us to pray through this Psalm 142. In Jesus' name, amen. Our outline today, I won't give you a poster board because it's pretty simple. And a lot of the Psalms of David actually are very simple outlines. You could take this outline and apply it to almost all of the Psalms of David where he laments or cries for help. So the outline is David's cry, David's circumstances, and David's confidence. David's cry is verse 1 and 2. David's circumstances are verse 3 and 4. And David's confidence is verses 5 to 7. The main idea of this psalm is that David is all alone, but he puts his trust in God that he will answer all his prayers. This psalm teaches us today to pray when we feel trapped, when we feel alone, with no way of escape from the dark cave of overwhelming trials. Let's look at point number one, David's cry, verses one and two. David cries out with a loud, audible voice to the Lord. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So we're going to see here uh, four things. David's going to pray alone. He's going to pray urgently. He's going to pray loudly. And he's going to pray complaining. First off, praying alone. Go back through this psalm in your, your time and count the personal pronouns. I, my, me. I count 29 personal pronouns in the English Standard Version of my Bible in just seven verses. David's all alone in this cave. Many commentators have labeled this the title, Alone But Not Alone. I titled it, You Are My Refuge. Uh, someone has said, when you laugh, the world laughs with you. When you weep, you weep alone. So David is all alone in this cave. He is trapped. Apparently Saul and his band of soldiers are outside. Maybe they know of David in the cave. Maybe they don't know. But David cannot flee because he's trapped there and he needs urgent help from God. So number, sub point number two, praying urgently. Look at the pattern of the Hebrew poetry that is translated into English. Of the four verbs that describe this urgency, he says, I cry, I plead, I pour, I tell. Kind of the same, uh, I cry. Three times in this psalm of seven verses, verse 1, verse 5, and verse 6, the Hebrew word qual uh, is used in English cry. It implies uh, you know, a call for help, an appeal, uh, someone wailing or weeping, uh, making public sounds of physical pain, and emotional anguish. So this is just a, an utter cry to the Lord. He says, I plead. Uh, David wants to argue his case before the Lord in this prayer. He says, I pour, literally means to spill out. 
let me ask you, do you spill out, do you pour out your urgent request to the Lord when something comes up? And he says, I tell. He's going to give the Lord a report about what's going on. These four phrases illustrate the tension of the anguish of David's soul and relying and being dependent on God. Now, someone has said, David is not casually going to the throne of grace and throwing up a few intercessionary prayers. He is prostrate before the Lord. He is desperately in need. He fully understands the gravity of his circumstances. His soul is troubled, and he is urgent as he goes before the Lord. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. So he's crying out to God in prayer. So he's praying alone, he's praying urgently, and he's praying loudly. He says, with my voice, with my voice, two times. This is not a silent prayer that we often do, but a loud prayer. This is not an easy prayer for easy times. This is a loud prayer for difficult times. He's vocalizing his feelings and expression, which describes the intensity of the distress, which shows us how difficult the situation was that David was in. He's all alone in trouble here in the cave. And if you look at verse 7, he describes the cave in a metaphor as a prison so he cannot escape. Number four, and perhaps most importantly in, under point one, he says he's praying, complaining. He says, I pour out my complaint before the Lord. Three other times in the Psalms, it says uh, our prayers can be complaints. Psalms 55.2 says, attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. In the same Psalm, Psalm 55.17, it says, evening, morning, and I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Psalm 64.1 says, Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. And then Habakkuk, in chapter 2, verse 1 says, I will take my stand and watch post and station myself on the watchtower and look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So four times in the Old Testament, it mentions our prayers can be complaints. But you might say, wait a minute, we don't, we don't do that today. Doesn't the New Testament teach us that complaining is sin? Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. But let me explain what David means about complaint and why we can complain to the Lord. This is what we call a lament psalm. Now, there are wisdom psalms, there are imprecatory psalms, there are royal psalms. There's about five or six different types of psalms. But perhaps the bulk of the book of psalms are what we call lament psalms. And lament psalms, the, the author is expressing his need for God's deliverance by revealing his troubled thoughts. At least 42 of the 150 psalms are lament psalms. And within lament psalms, there are individual lament psalms like this, Psalm 142, Psalm 139, Psalm 120, Psalm 88, so on. And then there are corporate lament psalms where the, the whole congregation is lamenting. And a couple of those would be Psalms 12, Psalms 44, Psalms 80, Psalms 94, and Psalms 137. So within a lament psalm, there are three characteristics, and I think you can see this in the outline of our title. The uh, author cries out for help. The second thing, the author asks for help. 
And the third thing, the author responds in trust and praise. So can we complain to the Lord? Well, Spurgeon probably said it best. Charles Spurgeon said, we may complain to God, but not of God. When we complain, it should not be before men, but before God alone. So yes, you can take your lament, you can take your complaint to God and tell Him, uh, cry out to Him, ask for help. But you also need to respond in trust and praise when you end that lament. So what do we learn from point one here, David's cry? Well, maybe nobody is trying to kill you, and maybe you're not stuck in a cave, but sometimes we do feel alone. And especially maybe in this times of COVID, perhaps you're elderly and don't get to go out much. Uh, Psalms of lament are treasures for you and me. They give an inspired voice to our troubled souls. They model for us how we can cry out or complain to God in a way that honors Him. So if you feel trapped or in trouble or going through a trial or testing, go to God in prayer. Cry out to God. Ask for God for help. And then respond to God in trust and praise. Let's look at point number two. David's circumstances, verses three and four. David is now going to lay his difficulties for, for God. Just like Psalms 23, where David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David's going to go through a valley here, and he's going to list two problems that are part of his circumstances. Point one, the dangerous pass. Verse three, and sub-point two, David's all alone. The dangerous path. David says, When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. David says that his spirit faints within him. I already mentioned that he has um, <coughs> escaped from uh, Akash, the Philistine. Um, he has no one to support him, no one to help him. He is weak, uh, with no strength to flee or fight. Often in the Psalms, David would say that God was his refuge. But here he has no refuge. Saul was relentless in his pursuit of David. In our study of the life of David by uh, Pastor Lance, he mentioned 13 years, perhaps, as many as 13 years, Saul was pursuing David. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where David is first anointed, all the way to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31. And this is a major theme in Psalms. Do you know that there are 13 Psalms of the 73 that David wrote about the life of David. But there are eight Psalms about Saul pursuing David. This is just one of them. Let me give them to you. Psalm 7, Psalms 18, Psalms 52, Psalms 54, Psalms 56, 57, and 59. This is the last one, Psalm 142 in the book of Psalms about Saul and his relentless pursuit of David. Now remember, Saul is a madman around this time. If you go to 1 Samuel 22, which says David's in the cave, and you look later on in the chapter, remember what happens? Saul kills 85 priests of Israel, butchers them. So you can see how furious Saul was that he couldn't capture David, and he just is acting like a madman. But Saul's relentless pursuit of David caused David adversity. And his prayers 
you see it in his prayer. David here is exhausted. He's exhausted mentally, he's exhausted physically, but he still uh, is not spiritually exhausted. Let's move on to verse 4. David is all alone. I mentioned it in verse 1. He says in verse 4, you know, look to the right and see. He's like telling God, you know, there's nobody here. He says, there is none who takes notice of me, no refuge for me, and no one cares for my soul. So he mentioned in verse 1, he's all alone. He, he, he's telling God to look around and see there's nobody to assist him. He's praying all alone. So David here has no defender. He has no advocate. He has no one to rescue him, no refuge, and no one cares for his life. He has said he has no refuge. He's actually a refugee here in the cave with no one caring for him. But nevertheless, in the spate of perhaps a little bit of spiritual depression, he's going to rely on God. Look at verse 3. He says to God, you know my way. And that's so good. David, despite being alone, despite being in extreme danger, reminds God, you know my way. Because remember, we said eight Psalms were written about Saul pursuing David. Time and time again, God has rescued David. And David's telling God, remember my way, remember my path. You've always been there for me. So uh, what's a point to teach us? Perhaps you're not un undergoing something dangerous, but perhaps you are all alone and discouraged and depressed and feel trapped and no way out. I want you to remember our study of Psalm 73. And you remember there, I got, hardly got to touch that psalm because it was so many verses. But remember I said Psalm 73 verses 23 to 26. Uh, I said that every Christian needs to memorize those verses. I said that too often in our prayers and our walk with God, we are self-focused. And yet in Psalm 73, ASAP became God-focused. And in Psalm 73 verses 23 to 26, I said there are four things you need to remember about God. God holds me. God guides me, God captivates me, and God strengthens me. And in verse 23, it says, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. God is holding us, even in the depths of discouragement, depression, despair, and no matter what trouble there is. God also guides us. Verse 24 says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you receive me to glory. Verse 25 is, I said, so beautiful. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. There is nobody that can help David here except God. And then in Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion, for, portion forever. Remember that God holds me, God guides me, God captivates me, and God strengthens me. I think David remembered that. Let's look at point three, uh, David's confidence. I've already mentioned that despite crying out, despite being all alone and perhaps discouraged, you do see the confidence of David starting to rise up at the end of this psalm. Four things here, my refuge, my portion, my plea, and my confidence. First off, he says in verse five, I cry to you, O Lord, I say you are my refuge. And that's the title of this psalm. Psalms 142, I titled, You Are My Refuge, because God is my refuge, and I hope He's your refuge. In verse 4, David cried out that, that he has no refuge. No refuge remains to me. 
But now in verse 5, David, in confidence growing, remembering that God has always been his refuge, cries out to God, you are my refuge. So David cries out, you are my refuge. This word in Hebrew means a place of shelter, a stronghold. And it is used 45 times in the Psalms. Uh, example, Psalms 118.8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than you trust in man. Psalms 91.9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. Is God your refuge? How's your prayer life tonight? That might answer the question. Let's look at number two, my portion. Not only is God David's refuge, he's his portion. He says, my portion in the land of the living. So what does it mean, God is my portion? We don't go around saying that a lot, do we? Well, sometimes this word portion is translated inheritance. And I think that might help us better understand what David is saying here. He's saying that he, God is his inheritance. God is his allotment in life. Now, normally when your parents or grandparents die, you might inherit some money, you might inherit a house or some jewelry. But David is saying, while he's alive, God is his inheritance. He's, he's all sufficient for me. He's, he's the source of all I could need. That's what David is saying here. Psalm 73, 26, I quoted it before. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart my portion or my inheritance forever. Psalms 119.57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. So God is the only inheritance that matters. You know, you can have a relationship, you could have riches, you could have a job, you could have health, uh, but all those things can fail and often they do. But can you say in confidence, God is my portion? Is God your portion in life? For David, he was not only his refuge, he was also his portion. Let's move on to my plea. And this is verse 6 to the first part of 7a. And notice David returns to the plea here. He's growing in confidence, but he also uh, shouts out to God. And notice the verbs here. Attend. Deliver. Bring. He's almost commanding God with confidence to bring him out of this prison. And I mentioned the prison is a metaphor for the desperate condition that David is in, in this cave. So he's pleading out to God. He's going to God with boldness and confidence. And this reminds me of the greatest verses, probably the greatest verse for me about our prayer life. And that is Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 to 16. I'd like you to turn there. Uh, you have to understand this, and you probably know it, and we've taught about it before. But do you remember the example of Esther in the Old Testament? Esther is married to the king. But Esther cannot just walk into the king any time. She's afraid after Mordecai tells Esther, you need to go tell the king what's going on. They're going to kill us. But Esther says, I can't go in there. I fear for my life. Why was Esther in fear for her life? Well, when they opened those doors and Esther was to walk through and see the king, it was absolutely imperative that the king take the scepter and extend it to Esther so Esther could come in. If he did not extend the scepter, you could die. That's why Esther was afraid. Well, think about that. Because when we read Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, 
It's a picture of God himself, Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, extending his scepter, saying to you, come, brother, come, sister, come, believer. And so let me read it. It says, Hebrews 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is the verse you have to know. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go to the very throne room of God, where Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, Jesus who understands our weaknesses, the perfect Son of God, and He will intercede for us. God will intercede for us because He knows our need. Yet sadly, too often, we Christians do not avail ourselves to go into the very throne room of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. But David knew the importance of prayer. And David goes to God with his plea, telling God, attend to me, deliver me, bring me out. So let's uh, look on to number four. And this is probably the most beautiful part of the psalm, my confidence, the last sentence in verse seven. This is the verse that a lot of people memorize. This is the verse that everybody talks about without actually looking at verse one to six. He says, that I may give thanks to your name, the righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me. Before God can even answer his prayer, David aspires to give thanks to God. He knows God's going to answer his prayer. And he knows that when God answers his prayer, David is going to give thanks in the assembly of the righteous, in the assembly of godly. Notice here, uh, I like what uh, Tim, uh, John Piper says. Notice the focus of David's prayer. It is not, deliver me so I will be happy again. So often that is the implied, if not stated, aim of our prayers. I'm unhappy in these trials, God. Deliver me so I can be happy. But that's the wrong motive for prayer. David wants to be delivered so that he may give thanks to God's name. Some translations translate this verse, praise your name, so that I can praise your name. In other words, God, David wants God to answer his prayers so he can give God the glory. There's another psalm I mentioned, Psalm 57, which is about David being in a cave. And two times in that prayer, Psalms 57, verse 5 and verse 11, it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So David wants to give thanks to God even before God answers the prayer. And he knows that he's going to praise God in the accompaniment of the righteous someday. The last few words of this prayer says, For you deal bountifully with me. Now that's not a word we use in our English uh, vocabulary today. When was the last time you said to somebody, you deal bountifully with me? Uh, it's actually used four times in the Old Testament. And the one time it's used in the New Testament, you probably remember it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, talking about tithing and giving. It says that whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
but we don't use that word today, but it just means to, to recompense. God is going to recompense us. God is going to repay us. God is going to reward us. God is going to deal fully with us and adequately with. So what David's saying here is that God is generous in bestowing gifts upon us and favors. And isn't that so true? And that's how David ends this psalm. Psalms 13 verse 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Did God answer David's prayer when he was in the cave? Well, I think he did. Now go back to, to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, and I'm going to read again verses 1, and then I'll read the rest of verse 1 and the verse 2. And it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. I believe God answered his prayer. I believe David had to spend some time in solitude, some time crying out to God. He was trapped. But David's family eventually heard about it. Not only did David's family hear about it, the mighty men of David heard about it. These were the fiercest warriors, the 400 men of David, many of them who would become those mighty men that would fight for David, came down and David would not be alone. David would have his army. David could then leave the cave and flee and be able to fight when he needed to. So what does this teach us in conclusion of this psalm? You may not have a madman with an army of 3,000 people chasing you, but you might be having troubles today, maybe with COVID. Uh, maybe you're having tests of the faith in your family. Uh, but this psalm should cause you to go deeper in your faith, uh, deeper in your prayer life. If it doesn't, you're missing the, uh, the object lesson of this psalm. Let your loneliness, let your trial, let your heartache, let your despair, and let me just add, let your praise and your thanksgiving uh, cry out to the Lord. And God will and can bring you out of that prison, bring you out of that cave of despair. God knows where you are right now. Let the cave be the place that you give God your best prayers. Cry out to God, ask for help, and respond in trust and praise. That's what David's teaching the children of Israel. That's what David's teaching us. I hope you enjoyed our Wednesday night summer of Psalms. I look forward next year to doing many more. I hope that you will read one Psalm a day. And remember, at the end of two years, you will have read the book of Psalms five times. Thanks for being with us and uh, good night.